You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to the wonderful little book of Titus. If you find First Timothy, turn to the right, you'll find Second Timothy. Turn to the right, one more book, and you'll find the little book of Titus. Uh, if you get to Philemon, you've gone too far. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. If you need to turn to the table of contents, that's completely okay. That's why it is there. So find this wonderful book, and when you find it, uh, just look up here for a second. Man, what a beautiful stage uh, that we have today. More so, not just because of all the wonderful decorations, but what it represents. Vacation Bible School. We get the opportunity to go on mission as a church and never leave our community. The mission field is coming to us through the ministry of Vacation Bible School. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that God has given us. And I'm so thankful for all of our volunteers who have committed to come and be a part of making Vacation Bible School a success. And I want to say to those of you who aren't able to come for one reason or another, I want to ask you to commit to some time during that 6 to 8.30 period to be praying for our Vacation Bible School. Uh, please, more than just a pray, you know, God, I'm pray, pray that they're safe, pray they enjoy the cookies. Just pray, spend some time praying that God would move in the lives of our children, and even in some of the adults, or in all the adults, uh, that God would move um, in, in the lives of those that are here for Vacation Bible School. But I love this stage. I love how uh, creative it is. I actually thought about getting in the Hummer and like driving down the, uh, the, the aisle this morning to come up and, and preach, but then Kim said I couldn't, so um, I uh, listened to her wise counsel. Always good to do, right? Amen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Actually, let's, let's back up to verse 4. Titus chapter 1, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says to his young son in the faith, to Titus, is who's writing it to, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Verse 5 gives us the purpose. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. We're in a series right now. This is the second week of our series of healthy church series. Talking about biblically healthy churches have biblically healthy leaders. Uh, and, and are, have church, biblically healthy churches have biblically healthy leaders who are sending, receiving, and supporting missionaries. And the Apostle Paul, through this wonderful little book of Titus, gives us incredible instructions on every single area, on how we can be a biblically healthy church. And here he is to Titus. He gives him the purpose. The reason I left you on this island in the Mediterranean Sea was to set, called Crete, was to set right what was left undone. Something had, was undone and it wasn't right. Something was broken in the churches on this little island. Verse 6, or let me back up. Set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. 
Then he gives this description, verses 6 through 8, of what an elder is. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children, who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-control, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradicted and rebuke or, or co- convict or correct those who contradicted. Father, I pray that You would speak to us through Your powerful Word this morning. God, I pray that You would do what only You would do, only You can do. God, I pray that You would remove me from this whole scene and may they hear Your Word uh, from the pages of Scripture being taught. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. I, um, I feel a little awkward preaching this text. I would much rather be sitting in the pew listening to someone teach on the bulk of this text. The bulk of our text this morning are the qualifications of an elder or uh, a, a pastor is literally what uh, he is saying there, but but to be true to Scripture and to be faithful to what I believe is is healthy preaching, and that is taking book by book and just preaching straight through those Scriptures. I feel like I need to be faithful and and preach this. So so why preach this text? I had to um, I had to write this down. Literally, I'm gonna be real honest with you. I had to write this down to convince myself to preach this text. Um, so, so why preach this text? There's three reasons. You ready? You don't, you don't have to write these down. Uh, I'm going to give you some things to write down here in just a moment. Let me, just, just, let me give you three reasons why I feel like I should preach this text. Number one is this, because God's Word is good. All of it. From Genesis to Revelation. Even Lamentations. <laughs> good. The begots are good. The measurements of the temple, as hard as that is to read, four times, it's still good. All of God's Word is good. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16-17 through 17 says this, all Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. For a purpose, so that the man, the the person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so by avoiding Scripture, we would be opening ourselves to being ill-equipped. And so I think normally this text would be preached by a guest preacher or an interim preacher in the absence, like this is who you should look for in your next pastor, I feel to be faithful to God's Word, I need to preach it. The second reason is 
And this might be hard for some of you to believe, but this is just the reality, the nature of, uh, of, of our mobile uh, lifestyles. FB, this is the second reason. FBC Farwell will not always be your church home. So why would I preach this if this wasn't always your church home? Because this, when you prayerfully begin to seek for a new church, I pray that you would go to these Scriptures and go, this, I'm trying to find a church, God, who has a biblically healthy church, who has a biblically healthy pastor, and these are the qualifications of a biblically healthy pastor. So I want to encourage you to do something. Those of you who think you will never leave here, and those who know, like next Sunday, because I preach this, you're gone. <laughs> write this down. Find the flyleaf of your Bible and write Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 down. Especially you students. Because as you graduate and you go off to college and, and, and you move from a town that has a few churches to a town that has a few hundred churches, and you begin to look for a church, this is critical. I beg of you not to look for a church because they have great music. Great music is awesome. Don't look for a church because they have a great children's program. Great children's programs are awesome. But listen, if you're searching for a church because it has a great children's program or it has a great youth program, then here's what you're doing. You are allowing, hear me lovingly say this to you, you are allowing an elementary child decide how you are going to be discipled in the faith. Do you, you hear that lovingly, just me saying that? Yes? No? Okay. All right. All right. The third reason, and I want, don't want you to amen this too early. I know some of you will. Please don't. You'll hurt my feelings. First is because God's Word is good. Second is because FBC Farwell won't always be your home. Third is because I won't always be your pastor. Don't amen that. When I retire, there you go. That's the place for the retirement. Or, if God was to choose to move me, these are the texts that you should turn to as you are praying for God to send you the next pastor. And so I want to be a faithful pastor to you and teach you what to look for whether you move from here or whether God moves me from here. I want you to know what Scriptures to pray through and looking for a pastor. So to be faithful to God's Word and those three reasons. Let's jump into unpacking the text. You ready? All right, so let's look at it. Who is Paul writing to? Paul's writing to, to this, uh, we, we don't know his age, but his name is Titus. Titus is a Gentile. Remember, remember Paul is a Jew uh, who loves the Jewish people, but who have been rejected by the Jewish people because he, for, by the most part, because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He begins to preach to the Gentiles, and this is one of his early converts, Titus. And him and Titus at one time were going on a mission trip, going from place to place. They landed on the island of Crete, and Paul left him in Crete. Some of the, some of the believers in Crete heard Peter preach that, that marvelous sermon where thousands come to faith, the, the Pentecost sermon. There's churches that are beginning to pop up in Crete. And Paul writes to this, what he calls his young son in the faith, or or he says, to my true son in our, in our common faith. Not his biological son, but somebody that, that Paul has led to the Lord. Listen to the relational aspect of this. 
He's not just writing to an unknown pastor. He's writing to someone he loves and he cares about. And he is, he is wanting him to do well in this area of, of leadership. He's calling Titus to do these tasks. But I want you to see, before we get into what those tasks are, I want you to see this letter is not just for Titus. Real quick, just turn over to Titus chapter 3. Look down at the very last verse of this book. Titus chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what he says here. Titus chapter 3, verse 15. Specifically the last part, uh, verse 15. All those who are with me send you greetings. Here we go. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. Now don't miss this because this is big. If you read these first opening uh, verses, and really the first two chapters, you would think that maybe this is for Titus's eyes only. Like, don't show this to the church. But it's not. It's for all of the people of the church. This was literally, this, this letter was to be, Titus was to read this letter, obey what this letter said, and then pass it on from church to church to church and say, listen, by the authority of the Apostle Paul, who has the authority of God, this is what we are called to do as a church, to, to raise up these leaders and to place these leaders in positions of leadership. Greet those who love us in the face. Grace be with all of you. Listen, today we are faithfully doing what Paul intended to do, to read this letter, to study this letter, to be obedient to this letter in our church some 2,000 years later. How beautiful is that? So we have who? It's to, to Titus, but it's also to us. Don't, don't, don't read the opening verses and think that, uh, that this doesn't really apply to us. This applies very, very clearly to us today. Let's also do real quick, let's define some terms. How, how many of you have ever been talking to somebody and you wish, you wish like there was, I mean, this is probably going to happen someday, like we'll have glasses and as someone's talking, it will just kind of define what they're really saying. Have you ever talked to a teenager, you're like, I have no idea what they just said. Like a whole sentence just came out of their mouth, but I've never heard those words, but they're not bad words. I've just never heard those words put together. Some of the words I've never even heard. You know, we live in an age where, where we have dictionaries online that you can, you can, it's just whatever you want that word to be, you can, you can create new words. They can just be letters, just consonants. They don't have no, no vowels at all. There, there's, there's, I, I literally did this yesterday. I went on one of these dictionaries and I created a word, and I made up a definition just wondering if they would accept it. Within 10 minutes, I got an email saying they accepted my definition. It's important we define terms, right? Because terms... Uh, like if you ever, one of the things I love about reading on a Kindle... Sorry, I'm going to show my, my wisdom or my knowledge here. One of the things I love about reading on the Kindle is if I get to a word I'm reading, which happens quite often, and I don't know what it means, I can click on it. And Webster comes up. Any of you with me? Yeah. We need to define some terms. What are some terms? We're going to do this quite a bit throughout our text, but, but I want to define one term 
It's the term elder. I want to do that right out of the box because I, I don't want you to be confused. It's because that's not a word that we use a lot today, uh, especially in, in Baptist churches. I'm not sure historically how we got away from that word, but we have, and even though it's, it's all throughout uh, Scripture. Uh, but elder from numerous passages in the New Testament um, is, is, the, is used synonymously with overseer, even in our text uh, that we're looking at this morning. Uh, Paul uses the word elder, and then in, in verse 5, and then in verse 7, he uses the word overseer. So he's, both of these terms, elder, overseer, uh, is, is used syno- uh, synonymously. Uh, but but it re- they all refer to the same, pa- the, the same uh, position, an office within the church, and that is the office of pastor. Uh, let me give you a couple of scriptures. You can just write these down in your Bible or on a notepad. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I won't read all of it to you, but in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 1 through 7, Paul there uses the term overseer. Episkopos is the, is the, uh, ter- the, the Greek word. Uh, it, it is to give leadership. An overseer is to give leadership. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Uh, the, the word elder is given. The Greek word for elder is presviteros. Presviteros. It's to share wisdom with the church, to be responsible for the church. So you have, you have this give leadership, share wisdom, to be responsible for the church. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, it uses the word pastor to, to shepherd the flock. How many of you in your careers, you have a job title, but within that job title, there are multiple hats, right? Let me just, m- mom, mom has thousands of hats, right? A mom is a, I don't even, I'll offend somebody if I try to make a list up real quick. But do you, do you see, bless you, yes. So, so do you see, do you see what, what's, what's happening here in Scripture? Elder, overseer, pastor are all the same. Uh, it's all the same meaning. A little bit different functions, but all the same meaning. One doesn't have more authority over another. So what is Paul telling Titus to do? First thing that he's telling him to do, write this down, appoint right elders. If you want to have a biblically healthy church, appoint the right elders or overseer, if you will, or pastor. That is the term that we use today. It's very common for us to use. But appoint the right pastor, elder, overseer. Look at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right. Some translations use the word put in order. And I want you to see the weight of what Paul is saying here. That phrase, set right or put in order, has the, the Greek word has the suffix orthos. It's where we get the, 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 the English word orthodontist or orthopedic. Uh, what orthodontist takes something that was crooked and makes it straight. Orthopedic takes something that was broken and, and misaligned, and he resets it, and he makes it straight. 
So what the Apostle Paul is saying to Titus is, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. Apparently things had become messed up in this, on this island of Crete. They became pretty bad. And Titus is inheriting a situation that was pretty broken. And Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, you're going to have to set the bone, so to speak, by appointing the right leadership, the right pastors in the churches on the island of Crete. And verse 10 gives us a little bit of insight. I'm going to spend more time in verse 10 next week. Uh, but verse 10, next week I'm going to be talking about healthy, biblically healthy confrontation. But I want you to look at verse 10. Verse 10 kind of gives us a little bit of insight of what Titus is facing. Look at what it says. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. Verse 11, it is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. That's what's going on in these little house churches on the island of Crete. Can you imagine that that was written 2,000 years ago? That there are people teaching and preaching to get money dishonestly. There are people on the island of Crete say, hey, I need to get to Ephesus and I need to get there really fast, so I need a $67 million chariot to get me from here to there. Really, really quick. You follow me? That was going on some 2,000 years ago. And Paul is saying, for you to get this right, a bone has to be set. Something that is crooked, something that has broken, is broken, has to be reset. And the only way that that is going to happen is to appoint the right elder, overseer, pastor. Listen, sometimes the break is so bad that an orthopedic doctor has to break the bone and reset it for true healing to take place. You ever broken a bone? You ever, you ever gone to the doctor and it's like, oh man, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to have to re-break it. And they tell you up front, right? This is going to hurt. But it's going to be better. And guess what? They don't lie when they say that. It hurts. But yeah, what is that, what is that doctor doing? He, he knows that if you continue without that bone being reset, that it will continue to grow abnormally. And it will continue to cause problems and problems and problems for the rest of your life. And Paul is saying that these unhealthy churches where things have gone array, if we don't reset, if you don't put healthy leaders in place, it will continue to grow unhealthy, unhealthy, and unhealthy to the point of death. That's the last thing the Apostle Paul wants. This is the task that Paul is calling Titus to. Remember, this is someone he loves. You say, man, I, thanks Paul for loving me, but I'd rather go somewhere else. I'd rather go to Philemon than to stay in Crete. This is the task he's calling Titus to. Listen, the need 
for biblically healthy pastors and leaders in the church is greatly needed today. Much of American Christianity can be described as a mile wide and an inch deep. The appetite for many Americans, for many in the American church, I'm sorry, is to hear preaching that resembles motivational speech that is often that often makes the listener the hero of the story and calls for little to no accountability to her members and asks nothing of accountability. That's the norm. Unfortunately. And listen, the absence of, of biblical leadership allows broken beliefs and ideas to continue to grow and go unchecked, which leads to unbiblical actions by the members. And even worse, unbiblical teaching that, 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 that happens in the Sunday school classroom all the way to the pulpit. That's why Paul says in verse 5, as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. And then he gives these qualifications. So who is qualified for such a task? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul's going to answer that for us. Second point I want you to see is an elder must be blameless with their family. An elder must be blameless with their families. Now this causes many uh, to, uh, for their knees to knock, mine included. Um, look at verse 6. He says this, an elder must be blameless. Now here's a term that we most definitely need to define. The word blameless needs careful examination. It's repeated twice in this, in this area uh, that, we're, that we're talking about this morning. The word cannot mean sinless, or no one would be qualified, right? Paul's not saying to Titus, I want you to look all around the island of Crete, and I want you to find someone who is sinless. No, that would be impossible. There's only one person that would fit that bill, and his name is Jesus. Jesus has already been crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. But even if, even if it could be Jesus coming pastor that church, later on in the text it says that this leader must be sensible. And there are many people that would look at Jesus and look at what He commands and go, hey, that's not sensible for me. So He doesn't qualify either. And so it's not talking about sinless. But Paul obviously has some measure of godliness in mind to be saying that He must be above, some, some translations use the word above, reproach. He says to be blameless. Literally means this, to be unassailable. Not chargeable with, with, with some offense. Unchargeable, unassailable is literally what that term means. Blameless or, or above reproach. And so he's saying this, an elder must be unassailable. He must be the husband of one wife. Literally, in this you have, to, you have to decide early on how you're going to treat this text, how you're going to, how you're going to um, understand this text. I read the Bible literally from Genesis to Revelation, every place that it is intended to be understood literally. We have to be very cautious not to read this with a, um, 
Not to read this with a magnifying glass, like, like have check boxes next to every single one of these descriptions and then either check or X. Let me tell you why I say that. Because if you read it that way, then you would look at this part, says the husband of one wife, you would say this, that he has to be married. Well, that's not the case. The Apostle Paul more than likely was not married. We don't read anything of Titus uh, being married. We don't know of anything of a, of a spouse. And so we have to be very cautious here. But he's saying this, the pastor must be uh, a husband of one wife. I believe literally if you was to back off of it just a little bit and understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to give instruction to Titus is this. As a, as a leader, you need to find someone who is faithful. He's a, he is a one-woman man. He is to be faithful to his wife. You know, he doesn't have to be married. He could be a widower and be remarried. There'd be nothing wrong with that. There are few, very, very few cases of biblical divorce. And I say that with great caution because God hates divorce. But there are few exceptions for divorce. And you could look at a situation where somebody had been remarried and been faithful to that person for years and years and years. There's a possibility, there's a place where that person could be a pastor, an elder. What? Because the Apostle Paul is not saying, here, check this box, X this box. He's saying, I, I, we need to find somebody for this to be a biblically healthy church. We need to find someone who is faithful. I mean, you, you could be married to one woman, but be unfaithful to that woman physically or even mentally and be disqualified. There could be someone who has, who's constantly uh, has, has a roaming eye sexually. And he would be disqualified from it. Just because he's married and only been married once to that same person doesn't mean he would specifically be qualified. So, so, so to get the spirit of what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying here, he must be a one-woman man. An elder must be blameless with their families, which leads to the second part of that. An elder must be blameless with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. That word children is where the debate really comes from. This term for children, this Greek phrase, the word is techna. It re- generally, it relates to children who are in the home, uh, who, who the pastor has authority over. Listen, we, we should not hold, we cannot hold uh, leaders, elders, pastors, shepherds accountable to children who are outside of the home, who are, who are full-grown adults. And this is a struggle because this is, this is where we're at, personal. But to be true to the text, the Apostle Paul is not saying, listen, this they need to have perfect children who have never messed up. Can you, can you imagine to take a snapshot, snapshot of anyone's children at any one time and go, they're disqualified because of that snapshot? I'm so thankful for that. My dad wasn't, wasn't, um, uh, wasn't uh, judged based on my actions. A little snapshot when I was about in fifth grade. 
In fifth grade, I was given money. Uh, we were going to church, and I was given money to, to give to the tithe offering. You know how parents will give their kids money. My parents had given me some money to go to the tithe offering. Well, right next to our church was a convenience store. And I know this sounds so old, but in convenience stores, when I was a, a, a fifth grader, um, there was arcade games, right? You remember, you remember Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, when it was real, we had to put a quarter in it, right? Um, I had four quarters that were burning a hole in my pocket. And my parents, they went to Sunday school, and I went to the direction of Sunday school. But as I got to the door of the Sunday school education wing of our church, I turned left when my Sunday school class was right. And as I kept going left, that little convenience store with Donkey Kong was there. And I took my four quarters that I was supposed to put into the offering plate. And I, see, some of you are going to go to another church because of this story right here next week. Some of you are going to check out. They're like, man, how ungodly can you be to steal from God like that? Like I, and I played, it was the worst four games I played in my life of Donkey Kong. But little did I know, my Sunday school teacher stopped by to get a cup of coffee on his way to Sunday school. And he saw me there, and he said, hi. And I said, hi, you have no idea what I'm doing, do you? And he actually did, he didn't tell me. But he informed my parents, he didn't tell me, he just informed my parents, hey, I saw your son over at the convenience store right before Sunday school, which my parents, I was not supposed to be doing. Can you imagine if my, that snapshot, if my dad would have been judged, if my mom would have been judged for that moment? No, that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And if we read this like a checkbox or a place we would put an X, we would read into that. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, is, is he faithful to lead his children with the gospel? Those he has control over. Those he has authority over. And can, can we look at this man and the way that he treats his wife, the way that he respects her, the way that he treats his children, the way that he, he respects them, instructs them, corrects them, loves on them. Listen, I believe the Scripture is teaching that, that an assessment of leadership appropriateness on the basis of overall patterns of the, of, the, of, the, of the movie of the life. Not a snapshot, but, but the movie is the appropriate guideline. Marriage is a tool and a test to deepen our relationship with God. Raising children is a tool and a test to deepen our relationship with God. And you can see someone's relationship with God growing as they're being faithful to their spouse. You can see someone's relationship with God in the dust, in the, in the, in the, in the hole by their unfaithfulness to their spouse or their lack of leadership in a home with their children. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I love what Kent Hughes said here. Uh, commentator, pastor, he says this, good leadership is not determined in the absence of difficulty, but in prudent discipline and handling of problems when difficulties come. It's not in the absence of difficulties. But what happens when difficulties come? What Ken Hughes is saying here. It's a great statement. So an elder must be blameless with their families. 
The, the other qualification is this. An elder must be blameless with their character. They must be blameless with their families. Not sinless, but unassailable. They must be blameless with their character. Again, not sinless, but unassailable. Look at verses 7 and 8. An overseer of God's household. There's that phrase again, overseer. Same as elder, same as pastor. An overseer of God's household. He must be blameless, unassailable, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not excessive, not, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-control. Now, before we consider this list of qualifications, these character qualifications, we should remember the reason for them. What is the Apostle Paul wanting us to get? He is wanting Titus to appoint new elders in order to set right what had become broken. To straighten things out. The new leaders are to oversee God's household. Think about the weight of that. To oversee God's household. To give leadership. To give wisdom. To give direction. To shepherd God's household. Each of these statements, each of these qualifications, this list here, reminds us that a pastor's responsibility extends beyond himself. And this is where, man, I wish I was just sitting and listening to this instead of preaching. Leaders are expected to affect others. Paul's consistently discusses their required conduct in this way, in other-oriented terms. Not in, not in self-focused terms, but in other-oriented terms. This is how their character should be. It should be outward-focused. So let's look at it. An elder is not to be arrogant. I think that's a pretty common word. We understand what that means. But just he should not be pleasing himself. The elder is not to be hot-tempered. Someone whose temper flares at others. I mean, just, just immediately as, as, as conflict arises, they're, they're, they're hot-tempered. We, we get that. An elder must not be an excessive drinker. I, man, I, I wish that said absolutely zero, but it doesn't. Let me tell you a story why I believe that there should be zero drinking. First, let me give you some statistics. One, if five people are sitting around a table having a drink, one of the five can have one. The others will drink excessively. That's just the statistic. Five people sitting around a table, one can drink maybe one. The other four will drink excessively. Scripture is replete over and over and over of the dangers of drinking. So I can't make it say what it doesn't say. Let me tell you a story. Several years ago, um, close to 20 years ago now, sitting on the front porch with, I was a youth pastor and um, sitting with our worship pastor. Our families were together. And um, it, it was just, it was one of those nights. And the, man, the stars were out. It was, it was a beautiful temperature. It was perfect temperature. We were just sitting there. Our kids were playing. Their kids were playing. Just husbands and wives talking. It was a perfect situation, if you will. Like something, it would have been just like on a commercial. Just the perfect time to have a drink. Like just, it was just one of those atmospheres. Could have. I was, I was a, definitely older than 21. I could have. It wouldn't have been any problem. It would have been completely legal. Um, 
About 30 minutes into that time as, a, as, as friends spending time together, I received a phone call of a family in our church whose daughter had just committed suicide. The man was, could barely get it out of what had happened when he called. And I said, man, I, I'm here with uh, Russell. He was our worship pastor. We're going to be right over. Can you imagine? Could you imagine what, it, what, what kind of testimony if we would have gone over there, inebriated, to minister, to console this family who was unconsolable? But, but how much, how ineffective we would have been. Legal, yes. Scripturally okay, yes. But how effective would we have been? We wouldn't have been. So, that's my spill. <laughs> excessive drink. Must not be an excessive drink. Must not be a bully. We, we see this. Could, can't be a, a striker. Someone, someone who, is, who is quick, hot-tempered, and lashes out with their temper. It's a bully. Must not be greedy for money. Which is what, exactly what we see what's going on in, in, in these churches in Crete. They're, they're preaching. They're teaching and taking advantage of people by receiving money that is not there. So we have these five negatives that the Apostle Paul gives to Titus. This is, this is what you don't want to look for. Here's, here's the don'ts. When you're looking for a leader, don't find somebody that has any of these characteristics. They must be unassailable with these five areas. But following these five are six positive qualifications. This person must be hospitable, loving what is good, Sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. All of those are self-explanatory. I don't have to define those terms. I think we understand what all of those are. Listen, our understanding of the purpose of these positives is enriched. They, they, have, they have weight. They have power to them. When we understand the Apostle Paul's context, his concern for the health of the local church. His concern for the salvation of others. They're outward focused, they're not inward focused. Paul is not simply concerned for the personal implications of our conduct, but he requires that we examine all of our actions for the impact of others. That's the lens that we should be looking through our actions. How does this impact my family? How does this impact my co-workers? How does this impact my neighbors? How does this impact my classmates? How does this impact those who I spend free time with? Listen, it's important to note that the qualifications of elder, pastor, shepherd are primarily character-based. Do you see that? There's, there's, there's 11 character-based qualifications, and there's one skill. And here's what I want you to see. When you think about the qualifications of a pastor, elder, or shepherd, character is always greater than skill every day. Character is greater than skill. What is the skill? He gives it to us. In verse 9, third point I want you to write down, elders must have a deep 
conviction to the Word. Look at verse 9. As in this list that the Apostle Paul has given Titus, he says they, they must hold to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching, not his opinion, but encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. Some translations use the word rebuke or convict those who contradict it. Listen, within every congregation, there are those who are hurting, who need spiritual encouragement. They need someone who will come alongside of them and open up God's Word and say, man, this is what God's Word says and how you can get through what this dark season that you are going through. Every church has people like that. But every single church also has wolves in sheep clothing who need to be corrected, who need to be rebuked, who need to be convicted with the Word of God. Some of them are wolves in sheep clothing, and some of them are just flat-out wolves. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, this person, they need to have these 11 character traits. They need to have this one skill. They must be committed to the Word so that they can encourage with the Word. Listen, any man's opinion is, is, is fruitless trying to encourage someone. And any man's opinion is wasting your breath trying to rebuke or correct. Well, that's just what I believe. I know it's what the Bible says, but it's just what I believe. No. He's saying they must have a deep conviction of the Word. Listen, in all three of these situations, Paul is saying the qualification, the skill the pastor must have is to hold to the faithful message. The pastor must have, regardless of his talent, regardless of his years of experience, a deep conviction of the Word of God. It's a Word of God that brings conviction to sinful hearts. Let me share this scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Not man's opinion that brings conviction. It is the Word of God. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, the Apostle Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. I'm not ashamed from Genesis to Revelation. The, the good news about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Because, why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Listen, every community needs biblically healthy churches. The community is better for it. The schools are better for it. Families are better for it. Listen, biblically healthy churches are healthy because they have biblically healthy pastors. I want you to think about something. Where's Titus going to find these men? The same place that we find in the pews. I want you to notice Paul doesn't say, I want you to go out here. Here's the characteristics. Here's the one skill. And I want you to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And I want you to find that guy who has, who has seen Jesus, who has been touched by Jesus. And I want you to bring him in and pastor the church. No, there's no such person. It's people within the pews. So what's he calling us to? And this is what we're going to see in the rest of Titus. Is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ 
Listen, it's people within the pews that the Apostle Paul is saying, Titus, these are the people. There's some people within the pews of those churches who you can raise up to be leaders. Listen, there are, there are people, hopefully there are people right here in our church who will be called to be missionaries. Hopefully there are some who will be called to be pastors. What a blessing it would be for our church to see someone raised up from our church and be sent out as a pastor, biblically qualified to be a pastor. This is, this is where our role comes into place. It's not that we just, we just try to listen to a message and see what nuggets we can get so we can survive for the next week. No, God is raising us up. I want you to notice something else. Nowhere in those, in those qualifications is, is really anything that is above what we're called to do as Christians. Did you notice that? These aren't, Pastor, please hear me. These aren't superhuman Christians. These are basic things that we're all called to as Christians. But the Apostle Paul is saying for them to be a leader, they must have these qualifications. They must have this one skill. Why? Every soul. Every soul who sits in these pews and hears preaching from this pulpit, whether that be from me, from a guest pastor, or anyone who preaches from this pulpit, listen, their soul is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. Listen, your family that you invite to this church their, their eternity, their eternal dwelling place is at stake. Your friends that you invite to this church, your, your co-workers that you invite to this church, their soul is at stake. And there must be a biblically healthy leader who is, who is tied to the Word of God, who has a conviction that the Word of God is true. That's why Apostle Paul is writing this to Titus. That's why he's writing, us, writing it to us. That's why we're to read it today. Listen, if you're here this morning, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear in this text qualifications of pastor for sure. But maybe you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Say, how in the world does this apply to me? Here's how it applies to you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ because you wonder if he really loves you. Let me show you how he really loves you. He loves you because he is demanding that these qualifications be in the leadership in the local churches because your soul is at stake. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He loves you. He cares for you that much. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.